In Hebrews, we're, uh, as we've gone through our, our, our journey through Hebrews, we are, uh, now have come to the sixth chapter. Now, you said, well, oh, there were some things back in the fifth chapter that we need to cover where we're going to do a quick uh, review of that because what I'm preaching on tonight is a, it's a doctrinal sermon, if you will. And uh, because these verses that we're going to look at, uh, there are some different views on what these verses say. That's the reason why I titled this evening's message, Apostasy or Apathy. See, it's interesting that there are those who will try to build doctrine on uh, a text that's really been taken out of context. Now, when you have a text taken out of context, all you have is a pretext. Okay? See, doctrine is consistent all the way through. When you study the Bible, don't just take a, 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 a verse here and a verse there and try to build a doctrinal statement on that. This is one of those... And we've come to Hebrews, and if you go back, starting in chapter 5, verse number 11, you will start to see the context of where we're going to be. We're going to be in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 8. And so when you go back to chapter 5, starting with verse number 11, and then you go all the way through, and then you look at verse uh, uh, number 3 and verse number 9 in chapter 6 of Hebrews, that's your context. So what is the context that he was been talking about? He's been talking about relationships. He's been talking about, you know, getting away, drifting away. He's been talking about uh, that we need to mature in our faith. That, that's the context in which he's saying, all right? Now, so here in about the middle of all of this, we have these verses. And these verses uh, are uh, verses that, as I made mention of, that have been totally taken out of context. And the context is this, uh, we're apostasy. Now, there's two different views on apostasy. There are some who say that according to these verses here in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 8, that you can be saved, but then you can get lost. Okay? I'm, I'm just telling you what they're saying. But when you look at verse 4 and you look at verse 6, you'll see that that cannot be so. Uh, when we talk about a falling away, in verse number 6, it talks about a falling away. We're going to look at a little bit a little, uh, later on in this. That we, we see here that that word of lay, uh, lay aside or, or fall away, however uh, your uh, translations are, that, that word means totally different than what they're alluding to. Also, if that's the case, that you can lose your salvation, then what he goes on and says that according to verse number 4, it says that it is impossible. So if you can lose it according, according to what they're talking, if you can lose your salvation, then you can never ever get saved again. Okay, if you, if you look in the body of the passages here, you look at these verses. Also, we understand 
that if you can be saved and you can lose your salvation, then you're going to under uh, what you have to come. Remember, your 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 teaching has to be consistent all the way through, right? So if you can lose your salvation, and according to verse number four, where it says it's impossible to renew and to repentance then you can never be saved again. But also, if you say that you've been saved and you can lose your salvation, then what you're doing is you're calling God a liar. I'm just going to show it to you. All right, y'all ready? Now, as I made mention here, we see there's two different views. You can be saved or you can be lost. Here, uh, I'm understanding that these are the people that they're talking about in, this, in these verses, 4 through 8. We're talking about those who profess to be believers, but they never possessed. They had the head knowledge, but it never got to the heart. See, the question for us is when you encounter these folks who believe that you can lose your salvation, the question needs to be raised is that were they even saved in the first place? Okay, y'all with me? Uh, but we also, not only, uh, I was going through, and, and, and I'm, uh, I was at Cedar Creek this morning, by the way. If you saw me leave Sunday school, I went to go preach homecoming at Cedar Creek. I have, I have bulletins and all to show that proof, okay? So don't go ahead and start that rumor. We saw Brother Mike and his family. They shucked out after Sunday school. I don't know. It's probably on Facebook that I went ahead and moved my membership or something. Which raises the question, why in the world would I do something like that? This is where I'm supposed to be. Now, you, you, you can love me, like me, or dislike me while I can't. You're stuck with me. I mean, you'll drag me out of here, okay? Probably in a body bag. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, I'm in it. I, I'm here. This is where I'm supposed to be. I, 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 I can Listen, even if I could go somewhere, why would I go somewhere? Because this is where God has planted me. Now, you might have a different view on all this, but this is my view. I'm, I'm in here. I'm stuck. You're stuck with me. I'm here until the Lord Jesus tells me to go somewhere else, and He hasn't even gave me an inkling that I'm going to go somewhere else. So go ahead and take it off Facebook. I haven't changed my membership and I didn't go somewhere else because I didn't like the preaching here. Matter of fact, I think preaching is pretty good around here. <laughs> but but, but Mark, Mark Twain said it this way. And here's where we're at. Mark Twain said, It's not the verses I do not understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the verses in the Bible I do understand that bother me. Now, what are we trying to say? Here, why would you take a passage that's stuck in the middle of the context where he's talking about relationships, where he's talking about maturing, where he talks about earlier that we need to go on, we need to get off the mill, we need to move on. We need to leave the elementary teachings 
says it and starting in verse number 6, uh, verses 1 through 3, it talks about it's time for us. Uh, now, we need to have a good foundation, but he says we do not need to continue to build a foundation. Once you get to your foundation, you need to move on. There's other things in the Bible that you need to add to your foundation. And so then he uses these to where it talks about this. It's impossible that there's a great falling away and, and all of that. So why would you take this verse out of context and you see there are many, many verses that support the teaching that once you're saved, you're saved for all eternity. See, we, we, can't, we camp out on these verses that are controversial or that somebody else has a different view. And we'll argue with all that. Why don't we just go ahead and look at the obvious? And so have that in mind. I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Now, as we look at this, the first thing that we see, I've already alluded to, and they'll take this verse, tell that it's impossible. Now, I don't have my, uh, my, uh, uh, my things not working right, so go ahead and uh, bear with me. But if you look at verse number 4, it says it is impossible, it's impossible to renew repentance. Then it goes on and says that if that's the truth, then you have to crucify him all over again. Do you see that in verse number four? Now, as we look at verse number four, the first thing that we need to understand is it is impossible. What he's referring to here, it's impossible that if you've truly been saved, it's impossible to lose your salvation. Why? I want you to understand if you go to Hebrews uh, and, and go to verse number 13, looking at verse number 20. I'm going to paraphrase here. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, it talks about the, the, uh, the oath that God made with Abraham. We all know the story. God made a covenant with Abraham. You find that back in Genesis and then here in Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, it talks about that he's made this promise and we all know that even Abraham and Sarah, they, uh, they kind of lost focus because they were promised a son. You all know the story. And there was a number of years that went by and there had been no son. Sarah was barren. So uh, Abraham and Sarah both... They just were flat out disobedient to God. They didn't believe God's promise. By the way, if you do not believe God's promise, then what you're saying is, God, you've lied to me. I want you to know, my good friend, God cannot lie. When He speaks, He speaks truth. Now, even though sometimes we are restless and sometimes we get a little antsy and sometimes we go ahead and say, well, God, you're just not going to do it for me this time. I want you to know God always delivers on his promises. God cannot lie. 
And so he goes and he talks, and we all know the story. Brother Glenn alluded to it on Wednesday night, I'm sure, where he talked about Abraham. And, and of course, uh, Abraham went, and they uh, went out of the will of God. Uh, had uh, Agar. Agar produced Ishmael. Uh, Fourteen years later, Isaac, the son that was promised Abraham, comes along, and we've had problems ever since. Ishmael and Isaac still warring. Still warring. Ishmael. The problem with many of our households is we should have kicked Ishmael out of the house and we might have done it for a little while, but now we're inviting them back to dinner. I made that, uh, we looked at that uh, some time ago when we studied Colossians. And so here, the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29 You all know this. This is where Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, uh, and and, uh, referring to Jesus, is that he hears the voice of his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice. Then it goes on and says that if you've been placed in my hand, no one can pluck you out. Because God gave them to me. See, when you get saved, you've been placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says here that if you've been placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus, nothing or no one can take you out of His hand. God cannot lie. But then we also see that there was a question raised. And the question was raised back some time ago. Uh, what, uh, uh, what can separate you from the love of God? We're in Romans chapter 8 now, starting verse number 39, going through verse number 30, uh, 35 through 39. What can separate you from the love of God? Then it starts saying a number of things. And then it comes and it says, not even death can separate you from the love of God. God cannot lie. But it doesn't stop there. We also see that he made another promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. He said, if he's begun a good work in you, he will finish it into completion. God cannot lie. And then we know in John three sixteen where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God cannot lie lie. And so we see here uh, where it talks about uh, that it's impossible. It talks about uh, a number of things. We have to uh, realize first and foremost, God cannot lie. And so we have those, I like to call it salvation losers. There are some who believe you can lose your salvation. And if you believe that tonight, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. I'm not trying to be ugly to you. But you are not understanding the Word of God. The Word of God says that if you're truly saved, you cannot get lost. You are sealed into the day of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. Don't you think that when he says everlasting life, he meant everlasting life? And the last time I checked, not only everlasting life, but eternal life, the last time I checked that definition, it means that it will never, ever end. See, your salvation, my salvation, is not based on our performance and not how well we do down here, but our salvation rests upon what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And when he died on Calvary's tree and when he shed his blood to cover uh, our sins, I want you to know, my dear friend, your salvation is not based on what you can do. It's based on what Lord Jesus did. And the last time I checked, when Jesus does something, he does it to completion. You cannot lose your salvation. But then we have these words in that crowd that believes that you can lose your salvation will raise it. Now, I'll call it salvation tasters. Notice in the passages 4 through 8, in verse number 4, it says, they were once enlightened. That's a very interesting word. That word enlightened means to inform. That's what it means. When you look at something and uh, uh, maybe uh, you read it and, and for the first time it kind of jumped out of you, uh, you were enlightened, you were informed on what it said. So what he's talking about here in verse number 4 is that they were once enlightened. What he's talking about is that they had heard and they have seen, but they did not act upon what they heard or what they saw. They were informed. They were enlightened. That's as far as they went. Now, I want you to, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 16. In, in Matthew 4, 16, we see, and this is alluding to Christ, it is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, and it's alluded to here in Matthew chapter 4, is that he talks about that the people were sitting in darkness, but they saw a great light. Matthew 4.16 is a fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah. It's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus is the light of the world. The Bible says that Jesus, when he went into darkness, they would see the light. See, many of us have sit in service after service. We have people that come and go on a weekly basis. They heard the gospel message. They have heard that Jesus is the light. And they, they've heard the biblical preaching and they've heard the gospel over and over. They were enlightened, but they never acted upon that. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about someone that's been saved. He's talking about someone who just tasted I find that word very interesting. And uh, I, uh, today we had, uh, of course, they had uh, food afterwards. And uh, uh, it, it was country cooking. Man, it was good. And uh, I'm eating there. Now, I can go ahead and testify to the fact I just not taste. I ate it. There's a difference. There's a difference in tasting and eating. What verse 4 is talking about, talking about those who were enlightened, they just taste it. They never did eat. Right. But we also see that uh, the, the Bible talks about 
uh, that uh, they were tasters. He, he, he makes uh, reference, Jesus himself said it this way. Jesus calling himself the bread of life. Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you eat of this bread, you will live forever. Notice the word usage. He didn't say, if you taste this bread. He said, if you eat this bread, you will have eternal life. A vast difference. See, we have many people who have tasted it. They've seen the light. They even had the terminology down. They were on maybe even on a Sunday school row, but they never ate. They only tasted and so here, he, he says they were enlightened. But notice the other word that he uses. He says they were partakers. Now that word there, partakers, mean, the word means association. If you look at the life of Jesus, and uh, you will see that Jesus drew crowds everywhere he went. Everybody was going to come Jesus. And when Jesus comes into town, the crowds were following after him. See, they were only associated. They never bought into it. They never ate of the bread of life. They were coming for other reasons. They were coming to see miracles. They were coming to see a show. You know, the times have not really changed that much, have they? Many people come to church. They come just to see the show. They, they come and they've heard the gospel. They are associated. You know, people do really like crowds. They really do. Now, if you talk to our pastor, he will tell you he likes crowds. We like a crowd in church, do we not? And many times we have crowds, large crowds. And you could say that they are partakers, but just because they're associated with the crowd does not mean that they have tasted and not only tasted, but have ate of the bread of life. Do you see the difference here? I'm not trying to preach someone into doubting their salvation. I'm just letting you know what the Bible is very clear. I believe this is a very clear doctrine. I really don't believe there's any gray whatsoever in that. I believe with all of my heart that the Scripture is really clear cut on this. If you're truly saved, then you will never ever be lost again. Now, so there was enlightened, there were partakers... But look at verse number 5. He uses the word, the word, the word of God. Now this word is a very interesting word. This word uh, in the Greek is rima. R-H-E-M-A, I believe if I spelt it correctly. What that word means is parts, not whole. Now watch this. They were enlightened. They saw the light. They were partakers. They associated with the crowds. And they heard the word, but they only heard parts. Many people come to church today, they only hear parts. They hear the part, and I made mention of that uh, uh, this morning uh, service, is that... um, uh, he was talking about uh, filthiness and naughtiness, those words. And uh, I told him that that word can mean a lot of things. And basically he's talking about sin. 
And uh, there's all kinds of sin. You can start listing sins. And by the way, in the scriptures where it lists, uh, where it lists sin, Paul uh, does a good job of that. He'll start listing some sins. And um, what happens to many people is they'll go down to that list and then they'll say, well, mine's not in there, so I guess I'm good. Understand that that was not an exhausted list that he's given. See, what we'll do is that we kind of pick and choose. And if the preacher is preaching about gambling and I'm not a gambler, man, I like that word. If he's preaching about alcohol and I'm not a drinker, yeah, I like that word. But then when he starts talking about anger and bitterness, that's when we get a little uneasy. And then that's when we say, that preacher, he just preaches too hard. When he's preaching straight at you. My dear friend, the Word of God doesn't need to be taken in parts. It has to be taken in its entire. The whole Word of God must be preached. I'm glad to know that I'm a member of a church where our senior pastor preaches the whole Word of God. I can take you to many churches where they'll skirt over some issues. They'll go ahead and won't tackle that. They'll go ahead and they won't touch on that. Or if they touch on it, they just kind of give a little pat and then they move on because they know it's very controversial. But the Bible says that you have to take the whole Word of God. And so here we see that they were enlightened, they were partakers, and they only took parts of the Word. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 20, Herod, Herod was fascinated by John the Baptist's preaching. The Bible said that uh, he would hear John the Baptist preach. He, was, he heard the word, but he only heard parts of the word. And we know the rest of the story there. That we also see that when Jesus would preach, uh, many people would uh, come to him, but when they would start saying things like when they would bring the woman into adultery and they were wanting to stone her and then he would say uh, something and he would say, uh, basically, what about your sin? That's when they didn't want to hear no more of the word. So this, these verses here helps us in... Uh, to understand that just because someone's enlightened, just because somebody is associated, just because someone has heard the word does not mean that they have ate the word and they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So in these verses 4 through 8, it is clear after you start to study it closely and put everything in its proper context, you will start to see he's not talking about someone losing their salvation. What he's talking about is those who never got saved the first time. I find it interesting when you talk to people and uh, they, they'll say things like, I got saved again. Now, I understand what they're talking about, and I'm not making light of that, but you have to instruct them. says, no, 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 you're not getting saved again. You, you're getting saved. Okay? Or they'll say things like, well, I've been baptized a couple times. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about here. See, they were just 
associating themselves. They were associating themselves with, if they went into these pool back here, then everything's okay with their soul. That's not true. Baptism, and we all understand and know that, does not save you. Going through uh, catechism classes and you get confirmation does not save you. Just because you're on a church membership row or just because you say you believe in God does not save you. See, I found this uh, to be quite true is that when you're talking with people and you're talking in generalities, they'll hang with you. They, most of the time, most people don't have any problems with you just talking about God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Well, well what does that mean? But then when you start really getting it down to, and you're saying, well, see, you do understand that Jesus is God. He's the God-man. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm backing up on you there. See, you won't get in an argument as long as you're talking in generalities. But when you start talking about the deity of Christ, that's where you'll start to see the separation. See, Muslims have no problems with Jesus, the historical Jesus. They have no problems with calling him a prophet. But he's not the greatest prophet. That's what they believe. Now, they'll say that they believe in God, but their God's name is Allah. That's nowhere in the Bible. God is Jehovah God. And God came down and put on flesh and bones and was born in a manger and we call him Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And so here they talk about enlightenment. They talk about partaking. Uh, they talk about uh, a number of things. But then we get down to the, uh, the, the gist of it. And verse number, six helps us, uh, verse number 7 helps us to understand this. Jesus, remember he was talking about the parable of the sower. We all know that parable. He says a man went sowing along his way. And the seed, the seed fell on rocky ground. Seed fell on the ground that were the thorns and came up and choked it out. And then he said that he threw some seed on fertile ground, and that's where it saw growth. See, that in verse number seven, that's making reference to that, if you will. See, the, sow, the seed has been sown on this little hill. The seed has been sown for a number of years. And we're still in the sowing business. And we're casting the seed. And some of it falls on where it's been trampled up. But they still will associate with us. I've run into people quite a bit where they say, I said, where are you in church? And they'll say, well, I'm a, I'm a member. Now, this is always, a, you always know that they probably hadn't been in 40 years. They say, well, I'm a member at Hillcrest Baptist Church. 
I have not seen this person. I didn't even recognize their name. And I asked them, I said, well, how long have you been a member? I've been a, a member since I was 10 years old. And that's probably the last time they came to church. And so they're associating themselves still with the body of Christ. And they said, well, wait a minute, don't you go start judging on them. All I'm saying is, if you're truly saved, there ought to be some evidence of your salvation. Okay? There ought to be some kind of a change. Now, we all have not arrived. I'm not saying that at all. But we ought to see some type of a change. And I've heard this. Well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be saved. I say, well, I understand that. But I really believe this with all my heart. The way you attend church is a reflection of how much you love Jesus, though. I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying. I'm married to my wife. But if I'll just say, you know, I'm married to Donna. And I'll just see her about once a month. Or I'll just see her on Easter and Christmas. <laughs> In my case, it might work out pretty good. But that's not that. that what are you going to think? Well, they ain't got much of a relationship, right? I mean, when when we were saying that, somebody says, "Man, I love I, I love that my wife," and you and you, and you don't even uh, spend time with her like that. People are going to start wondering, won't they? And we won't get too much in the uproar about that. We want to say, well, you don't need to be judging about my marriage. But when we start talking about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we talk about how often we come to His house, oh, we get a little huffy about that. You ain't got the right to judge me. The Word of God tells us very clearly there will be a change in your life. So here, what are we talking about? We're talking about apostasy or apathy. Now, stay with me. We're fixing to close. We're, we're, we're landing. When we move on from here, he picks back up talking about maturing in our faith. That's what he's talking about here. And what he's talking about here is that there were some who were, remember, drifting away a little bit. Amen. Their passion's not what it used to be. Their enthusiasm's not what it used to be. And so now his concern is not that they're losing their salvation, but they're slipping away from their fellowship. This is a fellowship issue. And here's what we'll do. That crowd that believes you can lose your salvation, they'll say, well, I know a man. And I think many times I've heard that it's probably the same man. But I know this man who says that he believes and that he's trusted Jesus Christ. But I know for a fact he hasn't been in church in 40 years. He drinks. He get drunk every weekend. I want you to know, how do you explain that? I say that's very easy to explain. He probably never got saved. It's not that he got saved and lost it. And so here, the writer of Hebrews is, is a warning to us, and we need to be warned tonight, is that we are very careful that we can slowly slip away to where we've gotten totally out of fellowship. And sometimes we can get so far out of fellowship, it's almost if we were never saved. 
We've gotten so away from God. Now, when you go to James, and we talked about this in the Sunday school, in James chapter 1, 19 through 21, it talks about hearing from God. And church, I'm telling you, I'm burdened. I know our pastor's burdened, and I've talked to Brother Rick. He's burdened as well. I made mention of that this morning when I was out there with his folks, is that we are not hearing from God, and because we're not hearing from God, we're not seeing the hand of God move in a miraculous way. We're not seeing revivals breaking out uh, like we have seen in the past. Is because what has happened is we've allowed things to come into to our hearts and we've let our emotions override our biblical teaching. And one of the things that James talks about that is the greatest hindrance to hearing from God is anger. And if you do not bring that under the blood, that anger will now fester into bitterness and then your bitterness is going to come to where you're, nobody wants to be around you. You're always negative. And it's something that happened 20 years ago that you still haven't gotten over because somebody said something to you or you heard somebody said something to you and you got ticked off about it instead of going and waiting on God and asking God how you can rectify this. By the way, the Bible is quite clear that when we have our differences, there's a proper way to go about trying to reconcile our differences and it's not for you to get ticked off and saying, I'll show you, I'll get back at you. And then you wonder why you can't hear from God. He has blocked that anger, that, that, that unforgiveness that has been hid in your heart, that unconfessed sin, you're not hearing from God. And that's the very thing that they were talking about here in Hebrews. They were drifting away. They were getting away. They were getting out of fellowship with God. And when you get out of fellowship with God, you get out of fellowship with one another. And then we go on and say, Lord, I just wish we could see those days when you just fall down new and afresh and you got all that junk in your heart that you haven't confessed. My dear friend, I want to hear from God. I said, I want to hear from God. Isn't it time for the church to clean our ears and pull the weeds out of our hearts so that we can move forward, so that we can see God move once again. Do you want to hear from God? Do you want to get back in fellowship with God? I'm telling you, there's a direct connection with fellowship with one another and fellowship with Him. When you're in proper fellowship with Him, we'll work things out down here. But what happens is we allow our emotions to override sound biblical teaching. And before I close, I watched this. Uh, he was a health and wealth guy. And I just, for a month, I kind of watched that and and I thought they were all getting worked up. He was talking about, don't you want the presence of God in your life? Don't you want the presence of God in your life? 
And then he would just walk around and he would just stop in front of somebody. He says, don't you want the presence of God? Like they're going to go ahead and say, no, I don't think I want it today. No, they'll go and they'll start, they'll start jumping around. They'll start, you know, and all that. And there's nothing wrong with being expressive in your worship. But, you know, they're getting, and then everybody else starts getting happy. And, and, and they're jumping and they're saying, God can do anything. And they're going and they're saying, he says, I'm telling you, don't you wish you had the presence of God where if someone just came into your presence, they would be healed? Now, those of us who have any sense about us know that's heresy. Bible doesn't teach that. But there's people buying into it. Why? Because they're let their emotions overcome sound biblical teaching. That's exactly what this text we saw tonight is talking about. Folks, let God do His job. He doesn't need our help. But He does need us to be available and willing to hear from Him. What's hindering you? What weed is still in your garden of your heart that's choking out hearing from God tonight? What's allowed you to get out of fellowship? I'm not talking about attendance. I'm talking about fellowship. Is there something you have against a brother or sister here tonight? If you do not rectify that and get that taken care of, you'll never hear from God like you need to. Right. 